what does AI mean for me within five to 10 years? Do I still have a job? You know, like that's the thing I would like to make sure that we create clarity for folks to understand that it's not going to be machine versus men. It's going to be machine and men working together. And that's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to push forwards is making sure that people understand more about that and just reduce the amount of fear uh, related to those jobs, related to those machine taking over, like that kind of like a Skynet Terminator kind of thing, robots going to take over my job. You know? um, at the same token, we have to recognize that we had an automation revolution back in the early, you know, 1900s and whatever, right? Factory and those kind of things, the automated jobs. And so, so the, the, the craftsmen, you know, started to change the, the way they were working. So we have to be also to be transparent and honest of what's going to be coming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm actually not sure why I'm encouraged to talk like Batman after I say that, but this is the place where we're creating a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. And what I really enjoy the most about these discussions is that they tend to get deep into the topics that bring modern business forward. Augmented reality, connected everything and anything, machine automation, AI. But most importantly, we talk a lot about what we as humans struggle with, from finances to emotional balance, because the human element in this world of technology is the richest component in any past, present, or future technology. Today's episode features Philippe Brassad, a principal program lead for the Power Virtual Agents platform at Microsoft. If you aren't familiar, Power Virtual Agents is a low-code, no-code, AI-driven customer engagement platform under Microsoft's business applications product pillar. On the platform, you can build and author topics, deploy bots and agents for things like automation, and monitor performance of these agents to enhance and enrich future customer engagements. It's absolutely amazing how commercial these AI technologies have become today, and we'll talk about the implications of AI democratization and the sensitivity to bias and other topics around these concepts that I know folks really care about. Philippe joined Microsoft in France in 2006 and has more than 15 years of experience in the customer relationship management niche, although this is not going to be a conversation about CRM. He spent a good amount of time in the project landscape from technical scoping to enhancing project agility and today spends the majority of his time today on customizing the virtual agent platform for the financial industry, namely large banking institutions. Beyond Philippe's technical resume, what he brings to the table is a very unique story on what makes him such a great product person from his personal experiences raising multiracial children to his cross-cultural professional journey. We talk a lot about that. Philippe is also a diversity and inclusion champion and has a lot to say around how being uncomfortable is the best way to grow. Some key themes in the discussion include building inclusive products and why it requires inclusivity-based habits, how to build better habits to better understand your end user. We talk about creating product for all, which is essentially what we're doing here at Microsoft. Challenges with American professional culture 
overcoming differences and learning when and how to shut up. Microsoft strategies in AI. Quote, anything we do in AI should connect people for the better. End quote from Philippe himself. Technical professionals are the guardians of tomorrow's technology. So we talk about why diversity and inclusion is ever more important in the decision-making process when it comes to the future of AI, the future of any technology today. Critical conversations around social acceptance of AI. We talk about why it's so important to create clarity, transparency, and educate on what AI means for our species, the human population, and everyone, which includes grandma and grandpa. The ambivalence between machines and humans, emotional intelligence, and the hardest challenges of all, parenting. So we talk a little bit about this as well. I think you'll enjoy this discussion. If you enjoy this podcast, more for the people element than the technology, you're going to love this episode. I really, really love this episode. It's full of genuine discussion on how to become a better human being and how to create experiences that add value to the lives of others. A quick mention, Philippe is also open to mentoring as his time permits. So if that interests you, I'm opening up the floodgates. You make sure you check out the episode and find out how to get a hold of him. His LinkedIn info is available in the show notes along with all resources mentioned in the episode. Lastly, please leave a comment about the show on Apple Podcasts. If that's the way that you consume, it helps me better circulate the content so I can better serve you through great guests and conversations. The episode is also available on Spotify and any of your favorite places to stream podcasts. Thank you for listening. And now I bring you Philippe Brassad. Hey, Philippe. Thanks for joining the Data Binge podcast today. Hi, Derek. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a great honor and pleasure to join you all today. This is super fun. I'm really looking forward to this collaboration. And you've been really helpful to me in, in a couple of ways and just quickly how we know each other. Uh, I think I had a customer, uh, a global contact support customer who, you know, call center, lots of calls. They wanted to optimize their call center with AI. And we had a couple different uh, strategies moving forward. And we didn't know which one to position in front of them that would be best for them. We reached out to you and you really coached us through as part of a leader in the product team for AI. And I'll let you get into that. But you really had a lot of empathy for our problem. You really adapted to kind of our needs in the field which is just a rare skill. We got along really well. We enjoyed working with you and the team. We flew up to Redmond, Seattle. We had some conversations there. It went swimmingly. The customer was very pleased. And since then, I've kind of been bugging you for advice and, hey, connect me to this person. Can you help me here? Uh, folks located at Microsoft headquarters. And you're just a really wonderful guy. And I'm just really excited to get you on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, Philippe, please... Um, Tell us a little bit more about what you do today at Microsoft. So today I've joined recently uh, a team dedicated to driving industry within our business application group. So within the Dynamics Power Apps uh, engineering team, uh, we have you know dedicated uh, personnel uh, for some key customers, right? Uh, one of the key motion we want to drive now is uh, driving more adoption per industry. So making our product more relevant per different industry. So for example, if you look at our Dynamics customer engagement, which is known as CRM in the past, right? We want to make it um, more 
attractive for banks, for instance, or for retail customers. Um, and so we want to drive that motion so that our customers have less friction adopting our, our product. And they also have an easier path to our, their digital transformation. Can you give a little history? I know you've been working with CRM. It seems like CRM is such an old term. And I, now you have a, a really great phraseology for that. Uh, but you've been working in the industry for about 15 years. Um, can you just highlight some things that you've been doing? Um, I think it'll be really valuable in terms of how we start getting into things, why you believe certain things and your perspectives, but like historically, what has been some of your, your traveling through this or this organization and others? Um, yeah, for sure. Direct. Uh, so I've joined, I started my career back in 2003 after, um, a computer science degree. And I joined a system integrator um, company. So basically what, what they do is uh, they build software uh, solution for customers, right? Large enterprise customers. So my career started in France. I'm French. Uh, and I work for uh, the French National Railroad Association, uh, SNCF, and then also for Air France KLM. So for both of the customer, I implemented uh, what we call typically a customer relationship management system, a CRM. And so I've learned my craft in that, in that context, essentially. Uh, two years and a half, three years after I started that gig, uh, I got a call from Microsoft in France, uh, and they wanted to hire you know, young engineers to become consultant and build a consulting practice around their Dynamic CM product. So I joined Microsoft back in 2006, and um, I spent four years in France becoming an expert on the product, uh, training folks around the world, um, and then creating a sense of community, networking with different experts around the world. Uh, and this led me to find opportunities in Canada. So then uh, I believe it was 2010 or 2011, um, my family and I, we moved from Paris to Montreal in Canada. A great way for me to get, you know, um, to ease into the North American continent because obviously Montreal, we speak French and English, so I was able to use both. And then um, after a while... Uh, I had an opportunity to actually join the sales and marketing strategy team for um, Microsoft Consulting uh, and focusing on dynamics. So my job when uh, I moved to Redmond uh, was to actually look into how to make our customer profitable in, in deploying their CRM technology, how they can get the value of their deployment faster than just a typical deployment. So at the time, a typical deployment will take around six months, right? Uh, and so we wanted to have a quick win for them. So I work with different partners inside, outside the company to come up with motions where within six to nine weeks would have the first wins, right? So it's important for our business stakeholders in the customer environment to get those wins quickly so they can reassure their overall leadership team that yes, Microsoft was the, the, the great bet. It was a great technology to, to bet on, if you will. And so that was a way to create that trust and starting that digital transformation motion, essentially. Um, and so after five years in that team, uh, I decided to um, take a different step. Um, and it was probably two years ago. And it was time for me to let go of the CRM, shed my CRM skin and get into the AI world. And so two years ago, I joined a fantastic team that was doing incubation work around customer service and AI for customer service. 
And the manifestation of that AI was around natural language processing. In plain English, it was a chatbot. It was a machine understanding what humans were asking, right? And so joining my team, I brought in my customer service, my sales management expertise that came in from CRM. I learned a ton around AI and natural language processing. All that came to fruition uh, recently when in December, early December, we released um, as a general, uh, a general availability product or Power Virtual Agents. So if you're familiar with our Power Platform and you've seen those announcements around Power Virtual Agent, my team was deeply involved into building that solution, connecting with customers, helping customers like TrueGreen, for instance, uh, build a solution and join us on Stage Ignite back in, December, in November. So all that, this is um, uh, what I've done so far. Now, uh, the next step in my career and the next challenge for me is I'm joining a team which is dedicated now um, to drive more adoption in different industries for dynamics. So still part of the engineering team, uh, but now my goal will be to work with some specific uh, customers uh, in banking to help them make the most of their investment in dynamics, essentially. And when you say the most of their investment dynamics, it, it, you're talking about the entire stack from customer relationship management all the way to ERP, all the way to the, this virtual agent platform that you've been kind of working on. Yeah. It's the entire thing. Got it's it. The, it's the dynamics portfolio, if you will, right? So in, in to your point, you know, in a world we have, we're known as three big areas, if you will. We have the dynamics customer engagement, which is the new terminology for everything around CRM. So sales management, marketing management, and customer service. And then you have everything around financial and operation, which is the ERP world, right? A supply mm-hmm. chain management, retail, uh, finance, and operation. And then you have the, uh, the, the, power, the power platform stack, which has Power Apps, Power BI, the new Power Automate, which was flow in the past, and now our Power Virtual Agent pillar, right? So all that stack, all that, I get to play with different Legos, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Like before I was like focused on Power Virtual Agent, one Lego set. Now I have the whole Lego sets and I can play with it and have fun. So, so doing a lot of really cool stuff. And ha- so having that, you mentioned working in France for several years with Microsoft, then going to Quebec, then coming over to uh, the mothership. I've never uh, traveled abroad for work. What, what is that like where you're in a place, you're away from headquarters? It, how, how sticky is the culture? Like, what, did, you know, what perspective could you bring in terms of what that looks like, the, the shift between all those different countries and moving around? So, so obviously our local leaders that drive the culture of the company hard, right? Like it's, it's something they do very well. Uh, we also have on a regular basis, typically when I was in France, we would have what we call a company meeting once, once a year. And it would be actually lined up when Steve Ballmer, CEO at the time, or Bill Gates uh, would come to France for different, you know, different uh, meeting with customers and partners and, and um, a government official. So it was a way for us so, so to get that still like we're part of Microsoft. Another part of, of driving the culture forward um, when you actually work in, in the subsidiary of Microsoft is that we have events that are bringing our sellers and technical specialists together in one location. Um, at the time, it was every six months or so. 
right? And they would go into uh, a, a place in like a, a city in the U.S. and then in winter it would be Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now it's it's called Ready. Uh, it's a technical event. So if you were uh, a consultant like I was or a technical center, you would go every year at the time. Now I think it's 18 months. It depends on allocation. But you would go there and you would get all the latest and greatest product. Uh, so that's permeate and get a sense of the culture of the company as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest shock for me was um, from a cultural standpoint when I moved to U.S. was how different is the mindset of the French with um, Americans. In, in, mean, in mean, what I mean by that is the French um, uh, the culture of French uh, the French culture is all about debating. Right. If you look at Descartes and, and Discours de la Méthode and those kind of things, we, we're very strong debating folks. And so if you see some movies, if you see French talking to each other in French and sometimes they yell at each other and you go like very passionate, uh, but then they like hug or go grab a beer or let's be clear, wine. Uh, so this is the way we interact. Like one of the things we typically do where in France, we'll, we'll say, oh, this idea is stupid. If I say this in France, it's it's a way to start the conversation and to get the disagreement or, or the, the debate on the table. And we know it's not a judgment on the person. It's just the idea we're talking about. When I've done that a few times initially in the U.S., I actually... Um, um, Upset people? Feelings. Yeah, upset <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was looking for the word. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I upset people. And I'm like, oh, what's wrong? And so I had to take a step back and understand the context of the culture. So like, oh, I, I can still debate, but I have to find different words. I have to be more diplomatic. And so that was, for me, the biggest challenge. Uh, thankfully, uh, in the team I joined in the U.S., one of my coworkers um, was French. And he was there for like many years. And for six months, he told me, Phil, shut up. I said, but no, shut up. Listen. And then it took me six months of his passion, mentoring and coaching to actually shut the French up. Right. And then being able to have conversation that are respectful and people wouldn't feel upset uh, by what I was saying. Right where the intention was still very good, but the way I was expressing it for them was upsetting. That's incredibly interesting. And, and you've met my colleague, uh, Alex De La Rue, and he's been on past podcast episodes. I don't want to give too much away, but he's really good. And one of the reasons he's really good is because he says what is on his mind. So in some (laughs) situations when we want to, we really want the truth Literally, we have not that it's a nickname, but we're like, you know what? Someone needs to pull the, the Frenchman in on the call. <laughs> because, where's the Frenchman? I need the Frenchman because <laughs> he tells the freaking truth. You know, he's going to come in, no emotion and be like, that idea is stupid. Why would you do that? And it, sometimes you, I want that. Like, I need that, you know? So it, yeah. it's, it's funny that it's, it could be a, a disadvantage as well. if That's the only lens that you have. Um, that's incredible. So what, so what are you most excited with about the work that you guys are doing? I think for me is, is how we are now 
using artificial intelligent investment that the company is making to infuse that across a different product. So I give you an example for the typical consumer. Now we have some great features in PowerPoint that gives you an ability to design very quickly. It's all based on different AI technology that we have where you just open up PowerPoint today, had a couple of pictures and stuff, and on the right-hand side, you have tons of different design that can, you, you can choose from. And so you don't need to be a designer to create great PowerPoint. Um, another thing that which is fantastic is we're bringing all work around, you know, uh, translation inside PowerPoint. So if you present to a set of foreigners, let's say I present to uh, Japanese, right? I do not speak Japanese. Like I know the basic counting, each Nissan, that's it, right? But the rest, I cannot have a business presentation in Japanese. But if I open a PowerPoint and turn on that, that coach, um, that, that translation live, I can have subtitles in Japanese that actually translate what I'm saying in live, right? That's how we can bring that artificial intelligence, all that investment we're making to make it easier for people to connect, right? Because at the end of the day, our job, our business, whatever we do in life is people relationship, people connection. So... What I'm most passionate about is making sure that any things we do in AI can connect people for the better and making sure also as technical experts, as technical professionals, we're part of the tech industry, right? Uh, we're technical professionals. We want to make sure that we are the guardians of what the technology will be in a few years. So can we make sure that we prevent our technology and, and the market technology to have biases, right? So you're probably familiar with the fact that a couple of years ago, we've seen some um, facial recognition system that were uh, only um, working with white skin um, individual because we didn't train the model with different skin tone. It's, it's weird because the word is not only white, right? The word is just a, a mosaic of people. Uh, same thing, we look at, um, I remember reading a document around the fact that um, a prominent company was using AI to uh, recruit folks, right? And they were trying to find the best candidate. Turns out their AI algorithm was built with data set that was overly biased towards men. So the great female candidate didn't have a chance because we trained the model wrong. So all that is something I really care about because... I'm a strong diversity and inclusion champion. And I think we have a unique position in the tech world to enable basically the next generation and all the underserved minority to get to a better position, if you will, in, in the society. And thank you for that, Philippe. And there's so much to unpack there when you're talking about that, because it's hard to remember that you are evangelizing this technology and you guys are developing this stuff. I mean, and you're, I mean, this is technology that we're all using, not just the Microsoft, you know, the hundred thousand employees here, but everyone who's consuming essentially every single desktop on every single office in the world yep. and, and notebooks and now all these different devices. So there's some, there's some responsibility behind that. Uh, in preparation for this podcast, I was looking through some things that Microsoft Research posted on YouTube, and there's this woman, her name is Tess Posner, 
and she's the CEO of this company called AI for All. And she, in collaboration with Microsoft, she talked about what the problem is, and you like you just nailed it. She talked about you know big risks to responsible AI development and deployment, and it was bias in algorithms and machine learning systems. It was diversity and talent crisis in the AI field. There's lack of access and knowledge about AI. But in that first component, it's like, what kind of data are you feeding these models? Because maybe maybe you're not biased, or you're not as you're doing the very very best that you and your team can do to not be biased, and the AI itself is not biased. It's what data are you feeding through there? So there's all these opportunities for the entire system to be corrupted. Yeah. And you're just like at the forefront of this thing. I guess what meaningful things like in, you know, you're in the product group. A lot of folks would love to just, I don't even know what an average day looks like for you. I would love to, to know what that looks like. Maybe it'll take a beer or a glass of wine to get that out of you. But how are you guys working on those kind of problems? Like, it's got to be personal. It's got to be like within yourself when you wake up in the morning and like, is there, do you feel that pressure on yourself and within the organization? I I do. I do in the sense that um, obviously we get caught up in the rhythm every day, you know, and you make decision as a team to deploy such features or go for this or that. But then you have to take a step back and remind yourself when you make that decision, do you have a fair representation of different diverse group, right? Um, obviously, in a tech industry, male representation is predominant, right? Mm-hmm. So we often get caught in the situation where you have around the table mostly male, right? Now, may diverse background, may dif- dif- different different ethnicity. That great, fantastic, great diversity representation. But if we don't have that female representation at a table, guess what? 50% of the population is out. And so that's the thing that we need to be cautious about. We need to think about, like, for some of those key decisions, um, you know, we have to make sure that we have the proper representation. Uh, and so there's a strong effort within Microsoft and, let's be fair, the tech market to drive uh, a woman in underrepresented minority to the forefront of leadership position or decision-making position, right? Um, from my personal experience, uh, I've been in different organizations where it was initially led by men. So if you look at the full spectrum organogram uh, org chart, if you will, it was men, 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 men. And I had other organizations where it was uh, female and other where it was like a mix. I, I thrive into the organization where we have a mix. Uh, and also when the senior leaders are female, you also have different vibes. You, you, my, my experience has been that, um, empathy was a bit more prominent in those organizations, right? Uh, now the drive to result was the same. Uh, let's be clear, like driven result people as those leadership level, they're like, they have the same uh, competitiveness or, or eager to to get things done, uh, but from a from an empathy perspective, I think female leaders brought more um, better quality um, to to their um, directs, if you will. So uh, I always found out that working in in those organization um, has a different vibe to it, if you will, from a from a day to day operation. I think I have I have similar experience where 
I can definitely see the difference from, and I haven't had too many female bosses. The first female bosses I've had actually have been here at Microsoft and I've had, uh, I believe one direct and several skip managers and bosses, 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 boss, essentially. And I can completely tell the difference between engaging. Um, It seems like there's a lot of genuine, how are you? How are you doing? You know, how are you feeling about this particular thing? You know, it just seems like at the time I'm like, this is strange that I'm even being <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like what, like I'm, you want to know about my kids and like here. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, it, but it, it allows you to be more comfortable. And if you're more comfortable, you're less tense and you can just really perform at, at full scale at whatever your task is. And I, I just absolutely love that. And it, I like, I like also comparing the different things and, and not slamming either one or, or putting no. one on the, on the pedestal, but just comparing and contrasting and thinking through like why those are good or bad or whatever for me. Yeah. So coming to this, this technology you're working on, and I'm thinking about this, you know, virtual agents. And I, I, I checked this at this thing out. It's, it's, it's like a SaaS application or SaaS offering and you, you sign in and I, you could create these bots and it's just pretty awesome. So you can create these bots and it's like a, a beautiful drag and drop designer type GUI. And I'm like interacting with this interface. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, what went into building this? And I'm thinking about inclus- inclusivity and, and diversity and all these and biases. And I'm like, when you look at that, like, what are you thinking? Are you like, oh, the boxes are this big or located over here? There, yeah. So part of that is this design effort, mm-hmm. right? And so before the UI itself, it has the concept around it, right? And we, um, it, that product was actually built by building custom solution for customers. So we work with HP, we work with Macy's, we work with our own Microsoft support organization to build the V0, V1 of what Power Virtual Agent is today, right? And so we had that concept of having a way for business people to create virtual agent or chatbot very easily. Then when we switched to make it a full product and just like the power virtual agent that you know, then we went through that full design effort. So design efforts re, you know, resides around, you have user research, uh, our designer, which actually kudos to the design team. It's, it's a very strong mixed bag of of a diverse group right it's a diverse group from from a, a gender perspective from a background perspective from an ethnicity perspective so when you design something you already have a sense of it's 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 cater for all right uh and then obviously uh our designers have a very great way to extract information from people but also uh very open to feedback so you will present something, they will present something to you and say, hey, this is the design, this is the concept. And you're looking at it, you're taking a step back, putting yourself in the shoes of the user is like, if I'm a user, what are the things that I need to be more, to, to be more efficient, more effective at my work? Um, so things like, um, can, we, uh, can we make sure that we have, um, you know, like the menu here, the saving buttons always you know, at the same place so we can have consistency across different product. Um, and then the next thing that we're actually pushing hard, which is part of 
Microsoft product overall. It's it's basically part of our DNA. We cannot go GA. We cannot go public without this. Is accessibility. So we have uh, rules around accessibility that we need to bid by if we want to have a SaaS product. If we don't follow those rules, no product. We cannot publish it. And right? when you say uh, accessibility, it's it's folks that. Uh, are handicapped of hearing and of sight and probably probably numerous other things that I wouldn't, people are very obviously um, unfortunate to have to carry through with, but things that Microsoft really focuses on. Exactly. Yeah. So those, those kind of those categories where you would have a browser reader uh, for you, if, if you have visual deficiencies or, you know, like in those kind of things, but making sure that we are, providing, you know, product for all. And one of the things, for instance, I, I try to force myself to do on a regular basis is when I do charts for my leadership, I try to change um, the colors into symbols. So let's say right now I'm working on, on a project where I'm asked to just show up where the product fits into that industry, right? Where does it shows in that map? And so my initial reaction was to use a, uh, um, circles with different colors, right? But then I remember, okay, one of my uh, leaders is actually uh, is colorblind. So how can he tell the difference between those two colors? So I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have a circle for that specific information. I'm going to have a triangle for the other one. I'm going to change the color for sure. So, you know, like if you don't, if you're not colorblind, you can just find difference quickly. But now, knowing that I'm going to twist into a colorblind, now you just see the form is different. Triangle, circle, square. So that's how I try to infuse accessibility in everything that I do so that if it becomes a second nature to me, then when I do look at the product, it's it's part of my uh, habits, if you will. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's that's something... So that's kind of like a uh, like a like a, like you said a practice that you're inherently trying to just ad- adapt into your ethos and how you do things. I mean, and that's got to be really tough. But that's your job, right? That's your you ha- you're kind of the the voice of the customer in terms of how you build things for them. Yeah. So I think this is part also of how I manage my career is I'm trying to grow as an individual, right? So. Um, I can't remember who said that, but I remember one of our leaders saying, I'm a work in progress. And so I I really like that term because um, being a martial artist is you never have the perfect, you know, punch. You never have the perfect kick. You have to work at it. You have to tweak every single time and be better at it. So this mentality of improving yourself little by little every single day, it takes effort. And sometimes, yes, I just want to drop my arms. I'm like, nah, not today. But mm-hmm. I try to go back on a horse and it's just kind of like this self-discipline of let's, let's try to be better, like 1% every day. Let's see mm-hmm. if I can tweak that 1%. Let's see if I presentation next time can be more inclusive. Let's see if I, if, if I can check my biases. Uh, for instance, um, I, I think you and I have that conversation. Uh, I'm a diversity and inclusion champion at Microsoft within our group. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've done over the past couple of years is whenever I can, I try to attend um, conferences that makes me comfortable as a white male. I'll give an example. 
if you go to our Women at Microsoft event, there's only a handful of male in there. <laughs> and so yeah. you stand out of the crowd. On top of that, I'm a 6'3 guy. So it's just like, you're re- I'm really standing out. Yeah. yeah. Then I go and join the, uh, what, what's called BAM, which is Black at Microsoft event. I'm, I'm a member. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going in February. Exactly, right? So I'm one yeah. of the few white guys in there. Uh, but for me, it's important to feel, quote, unquote, that discomfort on a regular basis because I know minorities feel that every single day. And so it's, it's, it's a way for me to just get that reminder of, yes, I'm privileged in many, many different ways. And I need to it's, – it's a way to build my empathetic muscle, if you will, right? getting the reps of, of being a more empathetic person. So you're, you're the person that I, I, I went to BAM's conference last year for folks that don't know uh, it's an enterprise EPG or ERG enterprise resource group, the, the oldest at Microsoft. It's been around for about 30 years. Yeah. It's just a fantastic group of people. And it's all about accelerating opportunities for obviously African-Americans and Africans and all these different things at, at Microsoft, people at Microsoft. And in a sea of folks that looked a certain way, there was maybe one or two like white guys or white women. And I thought to myself, good for them. <laughs> like that is freaking hard, you know, because it's like, it's, it's so, it's uncomfortable to be around folks that are not like you, whether it doesn't matter if it's hair or, you know, height or whatever. Like if I'm in New Zealand and I'm the only California there, Californian there, it's going to feel weird. You know, yeah. do you find a lot of people around you, Philippe? And of course we're talking in Microsoft, we're talking technology, like, you know, technology companies just, they just look and feel and act different than other companies. But do you feel that others around you are trying to do the same thing? Like in terms of self-improvement and do you feel like you're in a, in a, in a, in a world where it's not weird for you to be like this? to try to improve. Yeah. So, so it also comes back to the circle I'm in, right? So the, the story of, of me being part of those uh, DNI events and everything comes back to one of my colleagues back in, in my marketing team, who was a very, he's still a very strong DNI champion, right? Uh, he's of um, a Filipino descent. And um one day he had this great event and saying, hey, Phil, I'm going to that Asian Leadership Summit uh, next week. Uh, you should check it out. I said, hey, what kind of uh, um, speakers do you have? And I look at the speakers. They were fantastic. I said, hey, um, I asked him probably the stupidest question I can ask, which was, is that only for Asian? And he looked at me with a big smile on his face. He says, no, man, like everyone can go. You're welcome. And so I joined him uh, as an attendee. Uh, and that actually creates to me that that will willingness and that that sense of I want to be part of that movement and support people around. So I got more involved into the Asian ERG group, and as you can see, I have everything to be part of that group, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. So, um, but it was a great way for me to connect with another um, group of folks, understand the different ethnic background, the different culture. Like obviously, if you say Asian, it's like Dude, if you're seeing Europe is the same thing, like you just, there's so many different type of mindset and people and stuff like that. But it was a great way to learn from Chinese, Japanese, uh, you know, um, um, 
how specific in you know in Southeast Asia folks and everything you get the struggle that's inside and outside Microsoft. And again, it was by my first, I would say, professional stone to become a more empathetic uh, leader or or uh, you know person, if you will. So. And and just looking at your LinkedIn profile, it looks like you are a diversity inclusion champion. So yeah. you uh, participate in all of these DNI activities, like you you said, but you're mentoring new hires and, and underrepresented minorities. Um, this, I mean, this is something that you feel really, really close to. And even in talking about this podcast, immediately you wanted to go into this kind of topic and talk about these different things and, you know, human intelligence and AI and the difference between the two. Um, and it just really shows. And I'm just kind of looking again at your profile, a gentleman named Matt Koopmans. He was a dynamics practice leader in Asia Pacific. He wrote a recommendation and essentially said that you're able to understand the problem solution that you're trying to solve. You have a, an incredible ability to understand things and plan out the solution to execution. And I'm absolutely convinced that the fact that you're open to understanding and open to listening has something to do with that. Um, so what are some things you think, so you know, in, on the product team, you're surrounded by these different folks, you're taking concepts, you're bringing in designers, you're really putting a lot of effort into understanding what the end user is going to think about this product. And then you're releasing the product. You have tremendous pressure coming down because you got to release the thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, while you're trying to be inclusive and all these different wonderful, beautiful feelings, it's like, you got to, you got to make money. Like there's, you got to ship stuff, right? So what are some things that worry you specifically where you're at in the organization you're at today? as you're understanding your responsibility as a product person and you're developing this stuff for the world, what is there, are the things that are inherently or are scary to you or that worry you? I think it comes down to education is how can we educate uh, the market and in the broader folks? Because we are in that tech world. We are in that tech organization. We have a first front row seat into what AI is about, right? You and I and, and the Microsoft ecosystem, the all those tech people can educate themselves in AI. And we understand what it can do today and cannot do, right? We don't have that fear. I mean, most of us don't have that fear implanted in ourselves. Mm-hmm. But imagine if you are, I don't know, a truck driver, or if if you're if you've not like a highly educated job, but you still have a business, what does AI mean for me within five to ten years? Do I still have a job? You know, like that's the thing I would like to make sure that we create clarity for folks to understand that it's not going to be machine versus men; it's going to be machine and men working together. And that's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to push forwards is making sure that people understand more about that and just reduce the amount of fear uh, related to those jobs, related to those machine taking over, like that kind of like a Skynet Terminator kind of thing, robots going to take over my mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same token, we have to recognize that we had an automation revolution back in the early, you know, 1900s and whatever, right? Factory and those kind of things, the automated jobs. And so, so the, the, the craftsmen, you know, started to 
change the, the way that we're working. So we have to be also to be transparent and honest of what's going to be coming, right? So it's a, it's a tough position to be in. So I think for me, education is key. Uh, it's, it's, that's the thing where we need to find a way as, as a society and as, as a group of experts to help educate people around the future. Mm -hmm. That is so hard to do too. And, (laughs) and just coming in on the data and AI team, preliminary discussions, you know, two and a half, almost three years ago, that was a real thing. Like it was a real thing for folks at the C-level CXO you know, folks that managed people that had people's lives in their minds where I don't want to tell, I don't want to fire people, but at the same time, they have this pressure to optimize and, you know, revenue increase, profit increase. And I was really scared about how do I deliver that message? But like, just like you said, I'm, a, I'm around this stuff so often and, and finally got to the point where I know what this stuff can do. Yeah. And once you know what it can do, it's like watching a really amazing athlete and you see them in action. You see how fast they can run, how high they can jump. You can kind of imagine what they're capable of in a game versus not knowing what that person can play. Like never seeing like crook, you know, a, a game of cricket or soccer. You just don't have any context for it. And now when I have those discussions and people are, are bothered, which it's not as often, the conversation immediately goes into, yeah, you're not going to need as many people hours on this particular topic, but that the the people hours that aren't being spent there can now be spent in a more valuable place. And now these people can really be happy with the work that they're doing while they're creating more value for you. And it's such a different spin on this legacy thinking of, oh, we're going to have to fire people. It's like, no, let's, let's, let's think more about the change management and let's figure out what the displacement, where the displacement will go and what you can do with those additional earnings or winnings or whatever you want to call that optimization. I, I totally agree with you on, on this one. It's, it's quite interesting for me because this is where you can help, quote unquote, automate more of the tedious work and people can spend more time being human, mm-hmm. being more empathetic, right? So if, if let's say you have a fantastic serum system that does pretty much everything for you, you can actually concentrate on having that conversation with your customer, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to tick a box in your system to do X, Y, and Z, but if your system just can remind you before the meeting, hey, you have those information, here's the things I suggest you can do. All right, let me think about it as a human and just position this with my context and really think about the conversation, right, with my customer and then come back and then fill that form or go into make it my day more productive, Productivity is all about saving time, mm-hmm. right? But also, to your point, if you can focus on something more valuable, the more, the more value comes from relationship, from being human, being empathetic. So that's where I like that ambivalence between that machine and that empathy because right now, machine won't be able to be empathetic, right? It's only a human quality at the moment. So It's everything, and it's not just like laborers. You know, it's like you have these attorneys that are looking at thousands of documents and legal clauses and having to surf through these massive documents for a specific clause. Well, you can, all you need is, you know, text recognition and advanced OCR 
to look through all that stuff, locate the specific clause that you're looking for, you know, uh, do some custom search to pair them together, recognize patterns. And now that attorney doesn't have to spend so much time or spend or look at getting paralegals, now they're actually able to understand how to win the case and to pull, pull together information instead of spending hours and hours and hours of this stuff. And most, you talk to most attorneys, that's not what they want to do. They hate looking through clauses and looking for information. That's not what they want to do. They want to actually use their, what they went to school and gotten a debt to, to do on a day-to-day basis. We did the same thing with, with a, a, a pet company where uh, they would be doctors, veterinarians would be looking at pets and they were notating all their ideas on pamphlets and papers while they're looking at dogs and all this crazy stuff. And we helped them build a system that they would just speak. You know, their, their ERP system would capture what was being said. The technician would come in after everything would be captured pattern recognition, all these different things would come into play at I mean, six or seven AI services. And now you're getting better care to the animal. And now the vets aren't having to work overtime, which they weren't even getting paid for in the first place. Mm-hmm. So there's all these crazy optimizations that people aren't thinking about. And you know, just I just saw a, a fact, 85% of people in the US are using AI today. So whether or not you're using it for security for your iPhone or your focus tag in your email and your outlook or your gmail it's all ai if you're using your phone to take pictures and there's a recognition of 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 the uh face recognition right like boom you're using ai here right like like it's it's everywhere we don't even think about it but it's pretty much everywhere so being as passionate as you are you know you, you got into your family and you, and you told me that um you know one of the reasons personally that you're involved and, and you really care about all these different things in terms of of the influence uh, and empathy of how you're building products and bridging the gap between human education and AI and making them work cohesively together. Can you talk about personally, like what has gotten you to this point? Well, um, so we, 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 we talk together and I think I'll show you a picture of my kids. So my kids are basically multiracial, right? So, so my wife is from the French Caribbeans. Uh, she's uh, basically a darker complexion than I am, right? And my kids are right in the middle. They're more like a caramel kind of a thing, right? So we have that chocolate scale, if you will, right? My wife is on the milk side chocolate. My daughter and, and son's more of caramel and I'm more on the white chocolate. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it's the scale of the family, if you will. But for me, when I was dating my wife early on, like I saw the look from the white folks, I saw the look from you know the black community in France, and I, I and that makes me uncomfortable many times. And so, uh, raising kids in in US where the black experience is very different from the one you, you have in Europe. Right. And, and there's a lot of things I've learned from, from the black history, right. There's obviously slavery, everything I, I knew, but Jim Crow laws never knew about this. Right. So, so all those things are starting to pick up as, as I live here, obviously creates fear in me, but also doubts. And you want to make sure you protect your kids, you protect your family. And so what can I do as a professional, to help the next generation, right? And so do I want to be just advocating for white male? Not sure, right? I want to make sure my daughter has a spot at the table. 
I want to make sure my son has a spot at the table. I want to show my kids are safe and feel part of the society. And then so all that drive my passions, if you will. And, and um, I, you know, as a father, I care about my family, right? So I just want to make sure everybody's happy. So why can I do? What, what can I, how can I change? How can I support people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can help uh, someone from an enterprise minority or a female um, uh, professional to be better um, by sharing some of my experience, some of my failures and learnings uh, that could apply to them so they can accelerate. You know, um, one of my friend, uh, very active on LinkedIn, uh, Tim Salo is, is has Mr. Future of Work. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Future of Work, right? Yeah. You should tag him. Um, Tim has this great uh, saying about abundance mindset. And I love that concept where we have a tendency as human beings as, as thinking about the corner and say, oh, no, this is the fi- a finite resource, right? But what, what he's advocating is about ab- uh, abundance, right? And the fact that the universe has its own abundance and so we just need to think about giving more than taking. And I like that concept a lot because I'm, I'm typically quite generous with my time as much as possible, right? Uh, and I try to help folks to just drive to the next level. Um, and so that's, I've been extremely fortunate in, in my career, in my life. Um, and so I'm trying to give back as much as possible. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. I have kids as well. And you know, my wife is, you know, she's Caucasian, white, whatever, whatever the right way is to say it, right? White chocolate. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go, white chocolate. And, you know, she's blonde. Uh, my dad is African-American, but there's some French Caribbean background there too. So he's kind of got like white features, but he's dark. And uh, my mom is from Brazil. You know, I certainly, I don't think look like I'm black, but I don't even know how to, I'm going to be 37 soon. I don't even know how to categorize myself because it's like, what is it black? Is it Brazilian? Is it American? It's just weird, right? For me. And it's not weird for my father. It's not weird for my mom. And in talking to some of my father's brothers, and they're very dark. And they kind of told me early on, like, you're not going to have as much trouble as we did because you aren't going to be judged as quickly as we are. And I had had some trouble in school. There's a lot of white supremacy at that high school. I, have a lot, I had a lot of issues, even though my complexion is very light and I don't look like I'm African-American. There, I was super dark. So it was weird for someone to be telling me, you're not going to have any issues because you're not, you're, you're not dark. You're not our color. And that was kind of weird. But now that I'm older, I look at my kids and my daughter, if you saw her, man, you like, she, she's, you couldn't be any more blonde. It's, it's absolutely insane. And you know, my son, it's like same complexion black, but I'm thinking, looking at them and I'm like, you're never going to have any of the issues I ever had, you know? And then you're coming from a place where it's like, I need to have more empathy because my kids look different than I do. And there are people on the planet that have a, may have an issue with that. And for me, I'm like, how do I teach these children that they need to be kind to everyone, regardless of whatever dominant features they may have in their neighborhood or whatever. And I just think parenting is such a good thing to talk about and such a good 
perspective to add to each other's lives, even on this podcast or personally, because it's, it's helping us grow, right? Yeah, it's, it's uh, probably the hardest job that I have. <laughs> it's just like, I'm, I'm, every day I feel I'm failing about it. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, it helps me grow as a human being. Let's be clear, like we had our daughter 13 years ago. And so priorities shift in the sense that before her, I could spend hours at the office, right? Yeah. Back home at like 10 p.m., whatever, like workaholic, like you name it, right? But then the moment <laughs> we had her, I had to go back and pick her up, right? So I had to be very diligent with my customers saying, hey, you know what? 5 p.m., I'm done. And so you want me to grab a sandwich and just, you know, work like a work lunch and everything? Just be clear in France, typically we spend an hour outside, just, you know, in cafe and whatnot. You, you know, that's a typical thing, right? Or at yeah. least we have that nice 45 minutes of break. And so I would go to my customer and says, okay, this is 9 a.m. I'm out at 5 p.m. There's no discussion about it. If you want me to skip lunch, I can do that. And I'm going to go back to working for you at maybe 10 p.m. from home and you have the report on time, but we can't discuss about the 5 p.m. stuff, right? Yeah. Because I have my daughter. And so, yeah, parenting is is... Yeah, it, it, it's create another um, challenge in your in your work life, if you will. It's extremely rewarding, but it feels like you're failing every single day. I mean, that's how I feel. Is like, oh my god, just like like now I hit a plateau, and I'm like, yeah, great, my daughter is okay, and now hope oh, there's another growth, another sets of challenges coming with age, and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, are there specific items that you feel like you need to translate into your kids? Are there specific, like you need to make sure they have these tools or weapons or whatever they are to them at whatever time? Uh, two things I would like to teach my kids about. Number one is uh, obviously empathy, right? Like, understanding how to deal with your emotions. So emotional agility, emotion management, empathy, all those kind of uh, emotional intelligence, if you will, right? How can I express my sentiment in a way that, you know, I can stand on two feet and be um, proud as a human being, right? Uh, It took me a lot of time. I'm still work in progress, right? So I'm still, um, I have challenged personally on my personal life, you know, with my wife. It's just, it's it's a it's a process, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if if I had the opportunity as a kid to had um, uh, better models in that world, my life would have been different, right? And I can see that from different leaders and people I talk to. I can understand how their parent educate them and give them those tools. And like the, the sooner you get the tools to manage your emotion, I think the better you would be whatever aspects in your life, you know, like personal and, and professional. And I think the second one, but it's probably more me, uh, it's uh, financial education, understanding what uh, finance should look like uh, from from your know, household perspective, how you should think about, um, you know, making money and just don't run after money, but making sure that you have a decent uh, savings and how you think you need to think about it because money won't make you happy. Mm-hmm. Now, it's easy to say, because I'm part of the tech world and we're making six figures kind of thing. Right. But now, you know, um, like 10%, you know, increase. Yeah. Fantastic. But 
it's not going to bring me joy, right? Uh, obviously, there's a minimum. Like the, I, I believe uh, some study says $75,000 in US is the minimum to, to get like decent things. Mm-hmm. You want to be in a situation where you're not fighting paycheck to paycheck, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I have to be very careful when I say money don't make you happy, right? You, where you sit on that scale, right? let's be empathetic and understand the situation of people. But um, at, some, at, at a certain level, <clears throat> you should not, you know, run after money because it won't make you more happy than not, right? If tomorrow another company gives me twice my salary <clears throat> and, and the environment is is toxic and I know for two years I have to just grind and everything, probably no. I pro- won't probably do that. Same. I, I don't, I, I've, I've thought about that a lot and, you know, I've thought about competitors and, you know, very deeply. <laughs> and, <laughs> and big, you know, things, things show up, you know, show up in front of you and you have to consider them. And like, I think it's hard to even have that mindset in the first place about money because there's people around and I'm in a, I'm in a sales organization. So there's a lot of folks that they're, they're very coin operated. That's why they're good at what they do because they have certain objectives and they, they pursue those objectives and they beat those objectives because the objective is to make more money. But it's just very, very hard to be a master of your money and, and to, and to use it as a tool. I didn't have financial training growing up. That's the number one thing I believe in today. Yeah. Schools need to have financial training. They need to have it every single year, starting at kindergarten, piggy banks, credit cards, because their parents probably don't have good financial habits. Yeah. And I have friends that are just, it's so sad, you know, that have doctorates and are just very high performance individuals. And they are so unhappy because they're in debt. And because they're in debt, they spend emotionally and their health is in arrears. And it's just, it's really sad because it all started from what's inside. What's one thing that you struggle with? Besides parenting? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> wow. Um, I would say... F- finding directions and, and finding a way to get to the next level, right? Just like I have great career. I'm, I'm blessed with a lot of opportunities, but obviously I, I think the struggle I have is dealing with my own emotion, like learning to be more patient. <laughs> so that's yeah. probably the thing where I'm, I'm very driven. Um, I, I might be a bit more impatient, uh, and sometimes I think, oh, we should do this way, this way, this way. But now I know I have to convince, I have to influence, I have to spend the time. And so that eating up at my patience. So I, I think the struggle I have right now is just just most around the patient stuff. <laughs> it's just like learn to be patient, my friend. Just, just breathe, take the time to learn, enjoy the ride, and just uh, um, put your stones. You know, like um, I'm a big fan of the game of Go. So it's a, it's a Asian game, like Chinese, uh, Korean and Japanese people, they, they play that game. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic game. It has a lot of different mind twists and patterns around it. And one thing you can learn from it is you can put your stone on the board one day and then years maybe later, like like month or years later, that stone will be actually crucial in your play, right? And so I'm trying to learn as much as possible so 
those learnings can become stones on my career board. And one day, I don't know when, but something will find a way for me to just unbuckle stuff. And in the meantime, I'm enjoying the ride as much as possible. And I only know about Go because I know that there's an AI algorithm that beat it. So it'll be the human. So, so just to kind of well, come full it's, circle. It's extremely complex. I mean, yeah, yeah. Watch documentary on Netflix. They have a great documentary. It's fascinating. Um, like it's a very simple game in terms of instruction, extremely complex in terms of playing it and playing it at a very high level. So um, fascinating. And then uh, you mentioned learning. Is there one piece of advice you have for folks at any age about learning? You're obviously at the cusp of technology. You have to learn a ton, I'm sure. Any advice you have for people that need to learn? Try to learn outside your, obviously in your area, but try to learn outside your area as well, right? So obviously technology is something I have to learn from my job. So I'm surrounded by it. It's, it's infused everywhere. And you probably know that as, as much as even probably better than I do now that you're a center and feel like you yeah, have tons of training inside Microsoft and just, you can basically drown in the amount of training yeah. and content we have. But one thing I found is interesting for me is I'm passionate about social psychology, uh, the, the science of persuasion, the science of influence, negotiation techniques, and those kind of things. So I try to have sides skills, building side skills that help me be better rounded, if you will. So my um, my advice to anyone in the tech industry or any kind of industry, try to see what are the uh, other points of interest you have outside work that could infuse your skill set and be a better uh, professional. Um, one of the um, New Year resolution I set myself to, I don't do that often, but this time I, I want to try it. Um, I'm exercising my doodling muscle. So I want to be... Um, I want to be able to take notes graphically. I'm a very visual person. And I found when I speak with customers, oftentimes we do a lot of a, you know, a remote session like we, we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. But explaining concept with words is extremely difficult. So I op- typically open a, a PowerPoint and I starting to do a graphic really quick. But I want to be at the stage where it's beautiful, it's synthetic, and it's, it's nice, right? So... Right now, every night, I open my book and I try to learn how to draw, you know, like a, a Boba Fett helmet or I, how to draw like a computer, how to draw like a very, very basic one, right? So that I can use that in, in taking notes or I can use that in, in a workshop session with customers and those kind of things, right? I love that. And right before we let you go, one last question. If there were any problem in the world, that you would love to try to solve and you only had seven days to do it with unlimited resources, what would it be? Education. Educate more people. Yep. Find a way to just uh, um, educate like the masses, if you will. I don't know. I don't like that term, but just getting people to a level of knowledge to a higher level of knowledge, Um, you know, find a solution to education essentially is just boom. There you go. Like uh, the Harry Potter wand, that one that's just, everybody's now knowledgeable. Like, yeah, I would love that. So how do people get a hold of you, Philippe? Uh, LinkedIn, preferred okay. way of communicating. Um, so you probably are going to have a link on that. So I will. Message, uh, direct message, I'm, I'm game to that. 
Um, and then if, uh, if you want to have some conversation with me, coffee, if you're in the, uh, uh, Seattle area, or we can have remote session. Um, I, I offer mentoring as well, uh, with my limited time. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's the preferred mode of, um, connection. Thank you, Philippe. You are a great person. Really glad we were able to connect and thank you for all your work that you're doing for us. Thank you very much, Derek. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.